And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 72 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on March 30th, 2015. Okay, folks, we've got a controversy on our hands. People are incensed. They're outraged at the news. Is this new development going to cause people to boycott a particular business? Will a small percentage of passionate people be able to change what is the inevitable march of history? Is there going to be a loser in all of this as they try to clarify their position, their program? Can both religiously held positions be right at the same time? Do we need the freedom to choose? And of course, folks, I'm talking about the meerkat versus periscope debate. That's right. Do you think I was talking about something else? Even after a splashy coming out party at South by Southwest, meerkat is under fire from the sexy new Twitter-owned periscope. And say what you will about who might win, these new live media streaming apps are going to change the way that live events happen. 16 seconds on Vine or Instagram? Yeah, that's last week. Now it's all about the live streaming. All right, let's get our own pour of content marketing goodness out of the faucet. Here at PNR, we're here to create a continuous flow, a flood, a swarm, an effortless, effervescent stream of natural, smooth-tasting news that quenches the thirst for all of you. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the raging river of content marketing awesomeness, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? And welcome home. Did you say effortless, effervescent? Is that really what you said? Because I it is absolutely that was, what I said. And that was really good. That was quick. Thank I'm you. way too tired to keep up with that. That's, <laughs> no, I'm I'm, and, I'm fine. It's just yeah. As we were talking, stream I'm, of natural I'm, tasting news. <laughs> I'm just not used to you know doing this show without like you being in the next room or something. Like we're actually in different <laughs> locations for a change, which is without us, which is without us spooning. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's let's move on from that one. So you made it home okay. We did our worldwide I trip did. and we made it back in My one piece. My March Madness, our March Madness is at a close. Yeah, exactly. We got back thirty five thousand four hundred miles is how I counted. Is it. that correct? Yeah. Yeah, and we made it in one place. We're spreading our content marketing all over the globe. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but <laughs> it happened. Oh my it's, god, it is we're what it is. Bad, right? We're going down a bad road already. <laughs> well, we could just get right into uh, into the news if you want to. We could do that. Absolutely. We got lots of good news this week. I'm... We do actually have a lot of good stories this week. Our first uh, article comes to us uh, courtesy of the folks at Contently as well as an article that will pair with this um, nicely tasting article from PRWeek.com. Both of them talking about the same thing, which is that get ready for it because the media giants are now ready to publish inside Facebook's walls. Um, and the Contently article asks, will they ever get out of it? Uh, big hat tip here to James Gardner. From eyesight, put another mark on the board, guys, um, as this article comes from him. And the PR Week article is one that pairs with this. And it talks about how the New York Times has now broken the news um, that Facebook is officially courting publishers. We actually talked about this on the show, I don't know what it was, three or four weeks ago, um, and get their content natively on the Facebook platform. But now it's actually starting to happen. So uh, BuzzFeed, Vox Media, um, and uh, BuzzFeed founder has come out and said they're going to do it. Um, New York Times is going to do it. Now National Geographic is going to do it. And so the question really is, is this a good idea? Is what, what, what can we take away from this? What say you, Joe Polizzi? I mean, is this, is this, is, is what the heck's going on here? You know, this 
This is perplexing to me, actually. Yeah, it I, is to me too. I, this is one of those, you know, you know, nobody's going to notice by the, you know, listening to this old marketing, but this is one of those moments <laughs> that I think we just need to pay attention to because it could go either way. And and reading these articles, which both of both of them are worth reading just to to get the background of this. So the idea really is could this be the point where you've got publishers that are saying, yes, we are going to natively publish inside Facebook's walls. And you could, and you say this all the time that Facebook, I don't know which one you say, it's the ABC or the NBC, whichever broadcasting channel you yeah, want to call sure. them, that Facebook could literally control a, a larger portion of the web than we would like them to. And it's a, it's a little bit scary, I mean, to, to see how they're going to do it. Now, I understand, like, let's say New York Times, they've been dabbling in different social platforms and they usually do teasers where they'll do a shorter video or they'll do a shorter article which links to the longer video right exactly but if facebook does what they normally do and create a try to create a user experience that is worthy of keeping people on facebook you're going to see droves of publishers. I think you're going to see droves of media companies run to this. And Facebook, of course, is going to show premium to those people that publish inside the platform. And even if you get publishers, like it's interesting, one of the articles says that this is publishers' iTunes moment and they're screwing it up, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't matter, right? Because even if New York Times is in it, but let's just say the Washington Post holds back or Time holds back. It doesn't matter because there'll be so many publishers and media companies and, and brands as well that are going to go and publish on this platform because Facebook is going to show preferential treatment to their content, which they can. They're, they, of course, can do that. And will. And will. There's, there's money involved. Absolutely right? do that. I mean, we've seen what's happened with native video. And yep. I think that this is going to just send shockwaves throughout the media industry. I mean, are you reading the same thing? Am I reading this correctly? No, I think you are. And, you know, I mean, as, you know, as I've said on the show a million times, you know, in from the publishing perspective, I don't really have a dog in that fight. And so I kind of don't care if this is bad or good for the New York Times' business. Um, I personally don't think it's good. Um, for their business. I think it may be a, a short-term win at the cost of long-term value. Um, but the real losers here are brands, again, um, that have spent the money to be on the Facebook platform thinking they were going to have some relatively good shot at reaching their audience. And, you know, I think it's it's a well-worn meme now that the organic uh, you know, the organic reaches down, but this is, you know, this is going to put the nail in the coffin of any sort of shot that a brand is going to have to compete with the news and delivering content through the so Facebook actually, platform. So actually, this is a great, you bring up a great point. Let's just take this to the next logical conclusion of this happening. We know that Facebook has already cut off the majority of organic access. That's, of course, been all over the papers or digital papers, that is. So sure. we know this is true. Okay, so now... Well, but there are some, there are some people out there, I see it in my Facebook feed all the time, <laughs> how ironic, um, that actually th there are people who disagree, who say basically it's not, it, you just suck at Facebook if you can't Oh, yes, there, there is, and it's, you know. but it's a minority. I think it's fair, right. to, and that's because actually most brands aren't, creating really quality, relevant content and having built up 
that kind of a reputation with Facebook, so they haven't shown yes. any of their stuff. So I get that, right? We know yeah. that. I mean, we st- and it's easier for individuals than it is for companies, and individual profiles rank higher than brand pages, and yeah. there's all sorts of interesting. Yeah, we. I mean, we avenues to traverse. Even we, right. you know, we at CMI, we still do pretty well with it. Of course, we've talked about the Cleveland Clinic, where sometimes they see sixty percent organic reach. Sure. So yeah. that's all good. But let's just let's say that's true, and then let's say that the next step is going to be true, where more media companies are going to publish. In, inside Facebook's walls, natively, if you will. So that's going to happen. And then let's just say brands get shut out, and they only have one choice, seemingly choice, and that would be to advertise on the platform. You'd think, but is does this leave room for the push that we've been talking about forever, where brands start to say, ah, let's go Trojan horse and start buying media companies, because then I can get access to this. I don't think it does. I mean, I, I think, you know, in theory, it, that works, but I don't think you're going to have many of them that are going to buy the likes of the New York Times or, or BuzzFeed or, or be able to compete at that level. I think this is going to be, you know. Well, they're buying access. At- they don't, they're not going to buy likes. They're going to buy, if, if BuzzFeed publishes inside Facebook's platform and Facebook shows preferential treatment to that over. Let's say any kind of brand content. Oh, I see what that's you're what I want, right? I want that so that I can push them to whatever else, or I can get in front of whatever the case is. I don't know. I guess I'm just trying well, to think of what the repercussions of this are, are going to be. Are you brand. suggesting so? For example, if BuzzFeed could offer up, <laughs> this is getting way meta. But you're suggesting – I don't know. Maybe you're not, but let me ask. You're suggesting that maybe something like BuzzFeed or New York Times could offer a feed of native advertising-related content through the Facebook platform. So what you're actually seeing is native advertising content or you know my content that I've bought for space on the New York Times, which is actually then getting paid at preferential treatment on Facebook's page. I mean, it's like sort of one degree or two degrees of separation of a native ad buy. Is that, I think is that, that kind I, of- no, I, I do think that's part of it. I think the other part would be, let's just say that, you know, uh, CNET is, has been doing an amazing job inside publishing inside Facebook's walls and um, HP decides to buy CNET. Right, that's where I thought you were going initially. Part of the distribution strategy, you not only buy the subscriber list, you not only buy the brand, you not only buy the content factory and the people, you buy the access inside Facebook's walls. And I think I'm taking it way to the next step, but I'm trying to really get a handle on how big this could be because I think that it could be huge. I think. Well, I think it's yeah. I think it's it's one of those things where you know. Early people will win in the short term, and those who are not around for the long term, you know, as the sort of tipping point of how much, you know, this is like being early in Facebook and where, you know, when you're one of the early posters on a social media network, yours is basically the only content there. And so as they make these deals, they're inherently going to have more weighted toward the bigger brands, the early adopters, the, again, New York Times, National Geographic, and BuzzFeed being sort of the three that are sort of being mentioned here. And as they add more publications, that you know this will either work or not. And if it starts to work, I think to your original point, there's going to be a lot of rush to this. So you're going to have all the big media brands with their publications come a run into Facebook to say, get me on too, which is inherently going to make the noise, the feed more noisy, which is inherently going to mean more expensive, which is inherently going to drive out the smaller players, which is inherently going to make it harder for brands to get in there. And it's going to become a broadcast media platform. 
No, I I think you're right. I think that the issue is for brands that Facebook right now is driven by third party links. Where I want, oh right. hey, this is great. I I I just did this, or here's a great piece of content. I've got my link in that content and takes them to hopefully my website. But Facebook's new algorithm, I'm assuming, is going to put down those third party links in favor of native. And so now we've got a choice on what we're gonna do on Facebook. Again, it's back to it's exactly. back to advertising right. more. Now you have another option which is native publishing on the platform it's well it's native within native right oh man this is (laughs) meta so now i'm trying to write an article that looks like a new york times article which will position well on facebook (laughs) well you know it's it's interesting what happens to the to the media the venerable media brand if everything is published inside that and you're right the ad here's the here's the big issue that no none of the brands and the one of the articles mentions that i think the pr week article which is dead on when it says you lose your the data I lose the reader data. That's it. That is that's, huge. That's yeah. That's the that's the main thing for me. This is, I mean, this is the heart of the "don't build your house on rented land" thing. This is you are acquiescing every bit of the data value that you're going to get out of this. I think that yeah, a, but everybody looks at the the monetization model and they're, right. they're looking. It's the short term. Yeah. It's the short term play. It's the short term win for the loss of the. Because if you just value. look at it on advertising, you say, "Hey, we can make X percent," and here's the exactly. cut. Just like iTunes, right? Oh, and Facebook takes that yeah. and whatever. But you don't get all that wonderful feedback, that, and you don't realize how much of the organization and the mission of the organization is based on the the feedback that you get from analytics. Yeah, from the content creation and and uh, engagement. So yeah, whatever. Whatevs. <laughs> it's totes annoying. It's great, great. All right, next story. We got another one? Yes, we do. And this one comes courtesy of Ad Age. Um, and this is, a, this is an interesting article. It says, you've heard of banner blindness. Now get ready for content blindness. Um, the way the article is introduced here is it says, one of the most nagging problems in digital marketing could now bleed into the industry's next frontier. And by the way, they go through this whole thing and mistake native advertising for content marketing. So everybody take a chug of beer and let's be on with that. Anyway, they talk about this event, uh, the Forays Transformation Conference that happened in Austin uh, just recently. And basically they say when digital took off, display ads soared, consumers grew weary of banners. And now basically there's this whole movement to get rid of banners because of banner blindness, etc., And the idea here, at least which was posited at this conference, is that over time, we're going to start to see more content blindness, says uh, the managing director of Global Content Solutions for the Economist Group. We're going to see more and more marketers releasing control of the messaging. Um, I have a big take on this, but I would love to hear what you thought about this article and this sort of idea of content blindness. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure I get it. Um, I guess my my question is that if – Actually, I got to read this because this is the best one. So John Bottom, who who as friends of CMI, he has a comment on the bottom of this article. And basically, he says, I don't get this either. He says, if you accept content blindness, you may as well accept product blindness and give up on ever finding a competitive edge. It's just general blindness. I mean, maybe it just leads to blindness. Blind people is the way that it I mean, yeah. we talked about this before, right? I mean, if you have really good, amazing storytelling, it will cut through the clutter if it's really targeted to the right person. And and that's been the case forever. And there's always been too much content to consume. Uh, 
so and the the issue with with the placement of banners and that has caused caused banner blindness is not because it's a banner it's because it lacks value that's right. I mean, I think that's the issue. So we can't say, oh, anything in this area now because there's so much content. It creates content blindness. And I think there's – it reminds me of something else we've talked about in the past, but I don't want to say it. Anyways, content blindness. <laughs> I think that uh, – I think we're making up stuff. I mean, are you – do you agree with that? What do you think about this whole thing? Is there I, such a I, thing? I would agree with the comment. I would agree with you that this is like – this so here's the thing i i actually have a bit of a rant on this later when we get to that section of the show about the idea of uh content blindness and 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 you know the idea i think we get to content blindness only if we treat content like an ad unit and that's the inherent assumption here oh, but at the native they're saying basically they're conference. saying all content becomes native and then exactly. if that's the case, we get content blindness like I, I get. So I that's that. exactly right. And so if you think about it for a second, right, so the big, the big push right now, and I, I, I wasn't there at this conference, but I'm going to bet that this came in some level of context with programmatic ad tech, the idea of automating ads, the idea yeah. of putting artificial intelligence in front of content, all that stuff that's really hot right now. And you're getting a, <laughs> you're getting a teaser of my rant, but – this, I, but if we treat content like an ad unit, meaning we have to normalize it to specific spe- specifications, then yeah, people are going to become blind to that. That 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 is, and that is exactly the antithesis of what that commenter, the friend of CMI, there said. Right, which is, if content is unique, in other words, if it interests us, but inherently we can't be blind to it because inherently it is something that catches our attention. And so, therefore, if we could become content blind, we're blind to the stop sign, we're blind to the, the TV show, we're blind to the newspaper, we're blind to the thing that sits in front of our face every day with the computer, we're blind to all of it. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I was sitting here while you were talking, I was actually trying to look it up online, there was a quote by uh, one of the uh, biggest ad guys in the 1950s, and I'll, I'll, I'll remember it as we're going through the show here, but it, he, in the 1950s, he said, he was famously quoted, I used to use it in presentations, he said, people don't notice ads, they notice what's interesting to them. We hope it's an advertisement. And that was in the 1950s when you know advertising was in its heyday. And so that's the thing, it's still true today. People don't notice ads, they notice things that interest them. And so... We hope, in this case, that it's content, and th- that's not ad blindness. It's, it, it's in other words, they don't you don't look at an ad and go, "Oh my God, I, that's not a, that's not something I'm interested in." Therefore, I'm blind to it. It's you just don't notice it because it doesn't interest you. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't interest you, it's because you become so numb to it because of the familiarity with its form that you don't notice it. And that's the difference. Is is that as long as we don't treat content like an ad unit like something that's got a specific specification of form and we look at content as the unique interesting wonderful thing that's supposed to you know grab and hold our audience's attention then inherently they can't go blind that's it's yeah i guess you know it's that's this is totally off this current article but it goes back to the previous one if let's say we're on you know we're reading an ad age article here so let's just say it's on ad age and ad age posts a piece of sponsored content native advertising and that teaser post 
uh, is then presented in somehow within the walls of Facebook. So it's almost like, okay, we originally published it here, but then we're going to publish a piece of it here inside Facebook. Can you imagine the difficulty it's going to be to say that that's a piece of sponsored content? It is going to get, yeah. oh, it's it's just, I feel bad for publishers that are going headlong. And, and, and by the way, you and I both know, because we had the conversation together, uh, the native advertising in Asia Pacific is blowing up. I mean, it's going crazy. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. And everybody's trying it out and whatever. And, and because, hey, this is a new revenue line for publishers and media companies. They didn't have it. Brands are they're seeing, oh, they could access a whole new group of audiences. They just have to talk about interesting stuff. This is fantastic. I yeah. just I just don't know how long we have with it. I'd just be tread very, very carefully. So I think that's exactly right. And I think the idea of a sponsored content sort of idea is one that a publisher can get around. Um, but I do not believe it's one that's going to be automated and algorithmically placed in any sort of meaningful way. I just don't. Well, remember that article we talked about that said you can absolutely scale native advertising, but he just kept repeating himself and said, <laughs> I swear, absolutely, you can do it. And it's yeah, going to happen. Really can. And, it's uh, going to happen. Yeah. You can do it. Absolutely. <laughs> step two, do be. it. Yeah, step, step three, three, do it. You should do it step again. Step three, watch and learn. <laughs> <laughs> buy, my, and buy, my, buy my software. And that doesn't <laughs> exactly. really happen. All right. Do we have, do we have anything we else? We do. We do. Okay. Um, this one, this article comes near and jeer. To your heart, I'm sure. Um, the headline of this article is "Digital Natives Prefer Print." Um, I, I, speaking of ads, I, I see, I already see the ad for this, right? Um, you know, the whole gentlemen prefer blondes thing, and that whole the digital natives prefer print. I, there's, I have this ad image in my head right now, which would be great. Comes to us courtesy of the Washington Post. Big hat tip to Mike Azara for giving us this story. Thank you, Mike. Um, and basically, it goes through some use cases here. It talks about this kid who loves books, printed books. He loves how they smell. He loves scribbling in the margins. He loves underlining interesting sentences, folding page corners to Marcus Place, all the things that we sort of grew up with, with, you know, big paper-bound books. Um, and he's not a retiree, they say. He is a digital native. He's a junior right now at American University. He's paging through his thick history book all between classes. And he, all of this is basically sp pointing to this study uh, and student surveys who say millennials, the digital natives as they're sometimes known, still strongly prefer print for both pleasure and for learning, which is a bias that apparently has surprised reading experts everywhere and given basically um, the idea that print is once again not dead. And uh, basically they found that in this study that a quarter of all students still bought print versions of their textbooks, even though they were given e-textbooks for free. So what do you think about this? I mean, this must be music to your ears. Well, I mean, if you are, a, you know, follow Warren Buffett at all, Warren always says, you know, when, when everybody's doing one thing, do, I've heard of that guy. Do the other, yeah, do the other, do the opposite of what the market right. does. And I think this, uh, so this is a couple things. First of all, it, we've been talking about it forever. Huge opportunity. And I think that's why Airbnb, uh, you know, they, they tested the market first in print uh, before they launched out their whole media platform. I think there's still a huge opportunity in print. But the, the stat from this Barron publishing uh, or the Barron study that they talk about in the, uh, in the article here, I love this because it says 
how many of you multitask and 1% multitask while in something that's print and 90% multitask in digital? Yeah. So if you really want to influence somebody and you really want to make an impact, if you do something amazing and remarkable in print, you keep their attention. I mean, you naturally, they're naturally kept their attention. They don't look at, to try to multitask and do something else. That's amazing. That's an amazing yeah. step. Now, I don't, I don't think that this means that, oh, my gosh, we're going back to print. I feel that this just simply means that there is an opportunity and you shouldn't look at it. Oh, my audience is, you know, average is 65 years old or 55 or 45. I don't think it matters. I think people of all ages, for the most part, still enjoy engaging in print. And this sort of, I don't know if this is a conclusive study, but this is more of what we've been seeing about cutting through the clutter with print. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's incredible. I mean, I wonder how much of that is legacy, you know, from what we sort of do as habit. Um, and I wonder if that stat will start to come down, that that sort of multitasking stat will start to come down as digital reading becomes more prevalent, or if it's just something inherent in the way that you read the printed word on a printed page where you have to physically turn a page and all of that, that sort of sort of makes your mind focus. Um, well, that's what really that's what's interesting of, about the study yeah. is that it talks about how how people learn very differently when they're engaging in print versus digital. And the case is made in this Washington Post article that they the people are learning at a, a more effectively or a higher rate, I don't know how they're measuring that in print. So there's yeah. something to be said. So as I'm thinking, you know, as as my oldest gets ready to go to you know, high school in the next couple of years, and he's making his choice over, oh, does he go to a school that still uses print books on occasion, or does he just go to one that does all digital? You know, he's all in favor for the all digital, but it makes you think, right? <laughs> like, maybe it's yeah. so, maybe you should be engaging in print every now and again. <laughs> it opens up a different portion of the brain. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And I, but I'm, I, you know, I have to say, as a print fan, um, I I'm glad I'm actually glad to see it stick around a little bit. I'm I've been really enjoying the very select few number of magazines and books on in print. Um, you know I've been trying to go back and read uh, some classics this year, and I cannot. It's funny I can't read. You know, and I, I'm English literature degree and all that stuff, and so I grew up with this stuff. But I can't read uh, Shakespeare. On a Kindle, there's just something about it. There's just something about reading, you know, classic literature on a Kindle that just doesn't work for me. And I need that sort of yellowed page or whatever. It's it's a really interesting phenomenon. Well, it's interesting. I'll just close with this, and you you've seen this all the time where we have Chief Content Officer Magazine. We get, I mean, we publish every day, sometimes multiple times a day on the ContentMarketingInstitute.com site. But we get yeah. more qualitative. Uh, positive information about the magazine then and we that's published six times a year so wow. it's amazing to me because everybody for some reason they hold it with them you know they keep it to them tight it's special that it's in print um it's just interesting to to hear that and we see it firsthand because we go to all these events um usually you know multiple weeks in a row on multiple continents uh and we we get that great feedback so it's just it's just <laughs> interesting have you seen have you seen the Instagram account uh hot guys who read? Uh no, I've missed it for some reason. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, are you okay, on that? Clear, is that your well, account? Well, no. To I, be no, I I would never even be considered for the average guys who read um, Instagram account. No, I was I was pointed to this by my wife, who is a fan and a follower. Um, it is it is simply a Instagram account of hot guys reading books, printed books, right? So there are all it's based. That's all it is. Is really hot guys reading books. There's another one which is called Hot Guys Reading on Trains, where they capture guys <laughs> reading books on trains. I, uh, you know, is I mean, there maybe, one? Maybe is there one I, for bald guys? Because then I'm in. <laughs> right. Bald guys who aren't hot reading yeah. books. I'm right. I'm average. I, think I can make the cut on that one. <laughs> Or average pasty Scottish guys who you know who who, who read who read their kin anyway. Or Moving maybe along, just, maybe just They're... guys who can actually read. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that would be the better one. <laughs> By the way, I looked up the ad guy that I was looking for. His name is Howard Gossage, G O S S A G E. For any of okay. you who are interested, um, the book of Gossage. Go look it up on Amazon. It's not cheap it's a 50 dollar paperback book um which is an awesome book it's the only way you can get it it's just an awesome awesome book um about what the they they called them the socrates of san francisco in the heyday of the ads anyway also, great great and great also can be guy. found on guys who can read instagram account <laughs> right we should start which that. i actually it's probably already it's gotta be guys already who, started but guys who can re- we should start a tumble guys who can read <laughs> Uh, yeah, anything about guys you. who can do basic things, guys who can chew food, guys who can read, guys with their mouth closed, guys, <laughs> guys who can walk without guys stumbling, who can tie their shoe, any anything like that would be, would be good. moving along to our last story uh, of the show. This. This might be. I was telling you in the pre-show that this might be my favorite blog post um, uh, that has been published in the last three months. That's amazing. So, so wow. all of twenty. It's just a really, really good blog post. Um, the headline is: "Beware of Airbnb entering the hyperlocal travel guide business." Um, it comes from MondayNote.com, which is a great blog, by the way, very thoughtful blog. Um, and I just, I really loved this. This was almost my rave this week. I just loved this post so much. Basically, the blog post goes on to talk about, it's really, I mean, kind of an open letter or a suggestion or a shot across the bow of other companies or just, you know, it's just sort of a what if about what if Airbnb got into the news business? Um, and there, he makes the case where he says Airbnb has every reason to enter the news services sector and basically threaten a broad range of other services like TripAdvisor or Yelp or those sorts of things. As he says, you know, if you look at it through the eyes of a travel information publisher, the Airbnb company holds this dream position with a huge base, 25 million potential readers, users, spread over 34,000 cities in 190 countries, well tuned in to everything the brand has core to its attributes and values. And he starts to then make the case about, you know, it's not like they don't have the money. They've got, you know, basically millions, hundreds of millions of dollars sort of stored away and ready to do stuff. And just really, he goes through step by step how they might do this and how this might be a huge success for them. And then basically tees it off at the end by saying, look, they've already sort of 
put the first shot across the bow by by this pineapple, which we've covered on the show, the Pineapple Magazine. Why not do this? It, I, I thought it was a fascinating sort of look at how a startup company like this could really open its entire and create an, an entire uh, platform that basically started to own an audience. I just thought it was fascinating. What do you think? Well, what's really interesting is this article. And, of course, we just talked about Airbnb launches their pineapple initiative, which yeah. is, which will be part of what, what their platform would be, I would imagine. But at the yeah. same time, Marriott launches their content studio. Yeah. This is the first, you know, I don't know what to call it, the first battlefield of non-media companies in media. I mean, that's, I think that's what we're seeing. And it's going to be Airbnb against Marriott to start. I'm sure there's going to be more. But you're going to say, okay, who, who, can, who can best take advantage of the customer experience? And, of course, you, you Mr. Experiences, you know that in order to do that, we've got to create this content uh, platform, this experience, this subscriber base. I, I think it's going to get super interesting. And, and it, what's really odd is that we haven't seen this in tech first. Yeah, we're going to see yeah. it first in travel and leisure, which is really amazing. And I I think that in let's just say 5 years, your two largest media companies operations, and I know this is quite a statement because there's some huge media properties and media companies in travel and leisure. I think here you go, Marriott and Airbnb. Well, I think you know what it is. You know why you know why I think it is travel and leisure is because I think it's one of the last differentiating aspects of scale it is it, it is still you know geography is still um one of the last bastions of where having a lot of money and scale really is a differentiator in the marketplace you know if you look at scale in other areas for example the you know the ability to mass produce product you know in in factories the idea of brand the idea of advertising uh, you know and the money behind media None of those things or or some of those things are much less differentiating than they were before, but geography presence over a large geography is still a pretty big differentiator so i you know this as as this article points out, you know having readers and customers already at their size you know how i mean how long has this company been around you know less than ten years and this com- and this company's already got twenty five million potential customers across 34,000 cities in 190 countries. I mean, that's just unprecedented in terms of a global scale. You look at companies like Uber, who've been able to do the same thing. This is why I think they're seeing so much money. And of course, that scale provides them some level of ability to do something like this. Um, But can you imagine, can you imagine being like the founder of TripAdvisor or Yelp, and then understanding when you started that company, that your ultimate competitors were going to be companies like Marriott and Airbnb. I mean, that's just that's that's just such a crazy thing to think about. These well, days. think about this: if you were the uh, oh, I will. Well, <laughs> if you're the publisher of Inc. Magazine or Fast Company or right or Computer World Magazine, who would have thought that our major major competition would be the advertisers that have supported us yeah, over the years? Exactly, that's what's happening. Exactly. So it's just. It, it's it's crazy. I think this is totally crazy and obvious at the same time that this is going to happen. And I guess whatever. And I mean, this is the 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 leading case, the case on the edge of disruption. Boy, whatever industry you're in, listening to this, boy, you've got to start thinking about this is going to happen. And it's just even look at the business model, right? Look at look at what 
So Airbnb makes its money off of you know making the the reservations and and how that works from you know, opening up your apartment or house or whatever the case is. Right. But what they what's really cool about this article is now think about it. You know, you're going to want to in that area. You're going to go out to dinner. I want to go to Starbucks and I want to go all these different places. Well, Airbnb in this case can facilitate those transactions. Yep. So you got a whole nother line of revenue coming through here. So I mean, building the platform is key, though, uh, which they don't have yet. But and that's what I'm interested in. Actually, if they're going to go out and build it, like it looks like they're starting with Pineapple, or are they going to go out and buy it? Like, do you go out and buy Travel and Leisure magazine and all its online properties? I think they could do. I think given the given the war chest that they have, Airbnb could do either of those. Things. I would. You know what I would think? Here, so here's what. <laughs> Another, I got all kinds of uh, weird ideas here, but I think Marriott actually <laughs> would be in a place to see this and say, look, who's our biggest competition right now? It's not Hilton. It's not Hyatt. It's Airbnb. Of course. So, yeah. right. So we see this happening. So what do we do to combat this and to be proactive about it? That's where I think Marriott, who has the money and has the cash, can go out and, and you know, proactively buy some of these properties and sort of get a little bit of an advantage while Airbnb maybe starts to, to build it naturally. It's a great idea. So, it's a great idea. I'll have to talk to the Marriott. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, Marriott. Hello. Hello. I have an idea. <laughs> it's Itsy Bitsy Palitzi on the phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, to go there. <laughs> Speaking of acquisitions and war chests and all of that, we have... Our last week of a great sponsor. We do. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be sponsored over the last month by the good folks at Digital Relevance. Uh, basically, Digital Relevance focuses on increasing your search visibility, your web traffic, and your conversions by executing research-driven content marketing, digital PR, and SEO strategies. What I love about this offer is they are really offering something of value, and, and Robert and I both recommend it's you really taking good. a look at this, especially with all the talk we've had in this episode about sponsored oh content native. You need the Media Buyer's Guide to sponsored editorial content. Yes, you do. If you didn't need it before, you certainly need it after this episode. It includes everything you need to know about sponsored content from evolution to controversy, lots of that, to regulation, to execution tools, and a proven buying strategy. And it also includes the world's first research study and statistical analysis to determine a, at least an idea of a fair market price for your sponsored content and what you should pay. So you can learn more at bit.ly slash media dash buyers dash guide. That's bit.ly dash media dash buyers dash guide. Or you can go to thisoldmarketing.com and click on any of the last three episodes and you can easily get to it that way. But super special thanks to our friends at Digital Relevance for coming through yet again with a fantastic This Old Marketing sponsorship. Oh, that's there's. It's, I mean, it is really a great piece. It's and if you haven't downloaded it yet, do yourself a favor, download it. It's just a great toolbox to get yourself started. I mean, you know, we've talked about it many shows, but it's just a it's a it's a wonderful toolkit to get you started on understanding where you should be if you're going to do paid content and sponsored content. It's a great start. You place. have to start there. We love it. Absolutely, you got it. <laughs> we love we it. We love it. 
We love it. All right, folks. It is that time of the show, the time that you love so much. It is time for our rants and raves where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us a little bit of hate or which makes us say something is totes adorbs. Um, and so... <laughs> I guess I'm going oh, first. This door. <laughs> what? That's the thing now. Don't you know this? Don't oh you know the totes of doors? You're That's killing me. Effervescent, <laughs> whatever. All right, go ahead. What do you got? Here we go. This, uh, this, well, okay, so here we go. It's a rant, and I have to say it's a it's a rant. So this and a big huge hat tip to uh, Jay Acunzo who 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 tipped us off to this, um, and and actually wrote a very interesting comment on the the blog post that this is attached to. The link here that we'll link in the show notes comes from TechCrunch, and it's basically uh, this company called Kiwi K E Y W E E. Um, I'm already sort of annoyed by the name, but all right, Kiwi. Um, no, they felt the they felt the need to say that there was no relationship to the fruit. Thank you for that. The, anyway, no relationship to the fruit. Kiwi, they're taking an AI approach to content marketing. New company, and yay! I'm all you know. I don't want to be snarky about the fact that they're a startup, and yay for them. And I'm so proud that they're actually going out and starting a new business. And let me be the first to say that it takes a lot of guts and a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude to go out and start a new business. I get it. Um, and they're trying to do what, as TechCrunch is reporting, with this new launch of this company, this content marketing startup founded in Israel, operating in New York City. And the way they uh, announced it just already set me off. It uses natural language processing, machine learning, and social graphs to match stories with users. And it's opening up its doors, nine million bucks worth of funding, um, including, by the way. So I'm an idiot. You know, it's Google's chairman Eric Schmidt has put money into this. So I'm the dope here. So let's just be clear about that. This is a bunch of smart guys doing some very smart things. But here's the problem where I have the way that they've positioned the company coming out is talking about sort of remaking content marketing because content marketing is broken and what Kiwi is going to do is very different um, where they're actually going to help people, audiences discover content by using a very programmatic, algorithmic, artificial intelligence way of doing that. So anyway, I can go on and on about the, the what the company does and stuff like that. And I'll let you make your own decisions about what you think the, the company actually does versus what they say they do. The, the, the thing that sort of Jay pointed out in his comment and the, what I want to point out here is some of the things that they were talking about where they were saying – they say on the front page of the website, you can no longer count on organic traffic to your content. Um, and, you know, okay, that's maybe a little bit true, but not a lot true, right? It isn't, it isn't all about paying for placement. You have to believe once you start to create content that you're organically going to attract new users, new audiences into that content. In the article, they actually talk about how marketers have been flying blind when it comes to content. Um, and basically... Their solution is the answer to that, and I, I don't. I don't even begin to get that right. So there's no doubt that marketers are struggling with measurement. But a thing that actually helps me buy placement on through audiences is not going to help me measure my effectiveness. It's just not. I, I, and and 
all of that. And, and, and then they go on to talk about how they're going to provide the missing data layer. They make content marketing measurable. And I just don't believe that they do. And so it's yet again, it's just sort of, it, it came at a time when I'm sort of, um, I'm sort of in this place where I've seen so many technology solutions come out of late and sort of jump on the bandwagon of content marketing with this, we're the big black magic box that's going to make everything better for you. And it's just not true. Technology just doesn't make things better by itself. It just doesn't. You've got to have human input. You've got to have good strategy, good implementation of technology and great processes. And it just, you know, I I find myself, you know, just sort of getting in a rant when I see these companies, and this one just happened to catch my attention because it's new, sort of coming out saying, this is the magic solution that's going to make everything better. And it's just, it's just not going to be it. And so that's the end of my rant. I guess my question is, does TechCrunch just run is this just run as a press release? I think largely they 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 do. I think they actually for those that they choose to actually cover, they actually do interview and get a quote um and sometimes because I've actually been asked before by technology companies to be available for when they're going to come out with a new feature, that sort of thing. If I could be available for reporters who may want to ask something about the industry or about trends or something like that. And they do, they speak to a couple of people there other than the CEO. Um, but, um, well, I, I yeah, think I, I don't think they do a lot. I don't think they do a lot of, in other words, they're not coming in and investigating, you know, and sort of substantiating yeah. claims but i think the you know with the points that jay makes are really critical first of all most of the success stories the almost the clear majority and it's a huge number of content marketing success stories do so with organic traffic yes. not a heck of a lot of paid very very little paid if at all so that's the one thing that i'm just kind of scratching my head and so is jay and the second thing is um when were marketers lacking for data <laughs> When did that happen? Exactly. We right. have so much data, we just don't even know what to do with it. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of data. There's nothing wrong yeah. with, oh, right. my gosh, the, this. Uh, finally there's a new solution here because you'll right. get the data that you don't right. have. And like, let's, be, let's, let's be clear. The data layer is not missing. It's just a mess. Well, see, that, so that's where I just have – I wish they would have redone the press release a little bit. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, I you're them, right. I, mean, I wish I them well. I love that they're doing I this. I wish them well. I mean, I hope they become sponsors someday, yeah. which they probably won't after listening to this no, podcast. I'm, you know, and I'll blame that on you, by the way. But anyway, yeah, You could. Yeah. So, right. you're, you're, I mean, I wish them well. I really do. I wish them nothing but success. But I'm hoping that they'll take the time to sort of get involved and look at what's really going on in content marketing and find the true value proposition. Because the one they have now, it ain't it. Did you know that the, the there's only one thing needed to fix the whole content <laughs> marketing industry? It's, what's that? It's Kiwi. Yeah, it's, it's it. Kiwi. Not to be confused with the fruit. It. <laughs> Not to be confused with the fruit. <laughs> this is bad. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have, um, I have a, a rant and a, and a rave. Um, So I'm going to do the rave first, and my rave, and I wasn't going to tell you this, my rave is you, because I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why, because we we were on this two-and-a-half-week trip, and first of all, you rocked your keynote in Sydney. You rocked it in Singapore. It was amazing. The workshops were fantastic. Then you hit a near – you didn't even know your score at Intelligent Content Conference. I think that you had one four. The rest were fives. 
So you had, I don't know what the person who gave you four was drinking, but near perfect score. I've never seen that. And then we had our executive forum that was amazing, right? It was just, and, and I just have to. It was a good to, day. It was a good and day. I, and it's, you know, I've got to send a thanks out to you. You were awesome. Oh. This is, this is your thanks, doing, partner. man. I just, That's I just, nice. I just come along for the ride and I pay the cabs good. and I come along for the ride. <laughs> That's pretty much all I do. Uh, but the, the 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 rant and I wanted to run this by you because it's it's an interesting issue and I just wondered if you've gotten in this position before. I was recently at an event and I was watching a, a presentation and it was an executive at at this organization and as this person was going on talking about the success of the organization, they were using I, me, and my a lot. Have you seen this before? I'm sure you've seen it before. I've seen it before. I just thought it was interesting. And I I guess the only reason I'm saying this is that I still see a lot of people doing this. And for anybody that does releases or blog posts or presentations of any kind, you have to go through that and take out as many of the I's, me's, and my's. I can't even imagine, um, because a lot of the team was in the room as I was watching this thing, and I can't even imagine what those people would feel like, yep. because it's not them, it's not us, it's not our, it's not the team, it's me. And I'm the yeah. I'm the guy or gal that's doing it all, you know? And I just, it just bothered me, and I've still been thinking about it a lot as, as I, it was a few weeks ago as I watched this presentation, and it's just unfortunate. Wow. I don't think the people. I don't think people that do that know that they're doing that. I don't know. Oh, well, I think some. I think some of them do, and some of them don't. I think some of them are are completely confident in their own um, self centeredness, um, and I think some are sort of less conscious of it and just sort of have grown up with the I, my, and me um, sort of mentality and sort of just do it out of habit. They, you know, and, and if you were to actually call them on it, they would say, Oh, of course I just, I don't even, you know, I think it's a bit of both. Well, I think that you and I both both know quite a few bloggers that still do this and I think they pay for it, uh, by, by continuing that. And you get, get sort of a, you do over time. I mean, this is great. I mean, this is a great theme to this show. It's right. The short term win against the, the long term value, you know, I mean, it is, you know, it, it takes a village and it is, there's, well, not to get emotional here, but there is a, there is a saying that sits on my desk every single day. I'm staring at it right as we speak um, that came from my grandfather. I talked about this in the keynote uh, last year and it's, and, and it's, you know, and it's, and it's something that is near and dear to my heart where my grandfather wrote to me at, at one time and during a really bad time in my life, you know, do all the good you can for all the people you can for as long as ever you can. And that's, that's it. I mean, that's that, you know, that is what makes you win in life. And so to me, it is always about us and we and ours. So it's an excellent quote. That stuff that is fantastic. Yeah. All right, do we have a uh, this old marketing this? We week? have a wonderful this old marketing uh, this week, actually. Um, so I'm, as you know, but I haven't told the audience yet. I'm moving houses. My wife and I are, and the dog. Da da da. We're moving. Um, in May, we'll be moving. Not terribly far, just uh, about twenty miles away north into a little place called Hidden Hills, um, which, if any of you are in Los Angeles, you'll know about. However, I now live in Toluca Lake, which is just a little adjacent to Burbank, for those of you who don't know Los Angeles that well. 
in any event, Toluca Lake, it, the only thing it's famous for is Bob Hope. Bob Hope's house, he's of course passed away, but Bob Hope's house, his estate, is quite literally two blocks from where I live. I run past his house, ride past his house every day when I'm riding my bike. And I got to talking about Bob Hope only because I've been talking about moving and whatnot. Somebody asked me about Bob Hope, and I started reading a little bit. And then, just serendipitously, Mark Ramsey, who is a friend of mine uh, from going way back, Mark Ramsey sent me this note. And it was this great example of this old marketing, and it has to do with Bob Hope. So here's the story. 1940, there, uh, or let's let's even go further back. 1920, Pepsodent toothpaste. Uh, The sales of Pepsodent were like in the toilet. It was horribly, horribly, horribly bad. So serious that basically the Pepsodent company was considering removing that product from the market altogether. So they gave the product one more chance, and they created uh, Pepsodent Toothpaste, and, the, and they gave it a sponsorship of a program that was making its debut on 1929 on the radio network, and it was this little show called Amos and Andy, which of course ended up being an enormous, huge hit, and really drove uh, the idea of Pepsodent Toothpaste and, and sort of its sponsorship, and really brought the b- brand back. That gave them enough guts to create another sponsorship in 1938. So 10 years later, they created the sponsorship for this new star, Bob Hope, who was basically going to create a new uh, variety show. And so it became the Pepsodent Show starring Bob Hope. And so Bob Hope would sort of include stuff during his show about, you know, about Pepsodent and about its ingredients and all this kind of stuff and was making fun of the, uh, of the, of the toothpaste and all of that. And basically it was this great, wonderful success and, and the Pepsodent show was one of the highest rated radio programs during its tenure. Okay. So it's great. They're, they have a relationship now. Now we cut to – uh, the Pepsodent Show in 1940-1941 season, huge success, trailing only Jack Betty and uh, Edgar Bergen as sort of the, the top TV shows. Hope is a huge success at this point, big, you know, big success, but he really wanted to sort of take it to the next level. And so he thought about writing this very funny memoir. So he thought, hey, I'll write a book. And basically, I'll write a book about sort of kind of me in a funny way, sort of, you know, some of it fictional, some of it nonfictional, and, and we'll do this. And basically, he went to Pepsi and said, would you want to partner on this? So basically, Bob Hope and his writers, they churned out this 96-page joke-filled paperback book called They Got Me Covered. And Pepsodent then took it on to become a book publisher and print, published the book, bound the book, got four million copies out of it for them. They sold the book for them, created the entire distribution strategy in the book itself. They put a box top from uh, Pepsodent Toothpaste as the book, uh, as the book uh, mark. They were also giving out free copies to anybody who came to Bob Hope's radio show. Then they started distributing thousands more of the book just for free when his new movie started to come out. And basically, Bob Hope was then, you know, out there uh, covering the book, uh, you know, sort of incessantly out there just marketing and stuff. It is, it, it is Andrew Davis's brandscaping. It is a wonderful example of a company and a media coming together to create this media property that did both marketed Bob Hope, but also marketed the idea of Pepsi and, and how. It was so important, and I thought just a wonderful example of this. That's a great example. I never knew that. I never knew that. I didn't that either. Was the, 
The start. Thank you, Mark Ramsey. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Such you, a great Mark. story. That's, Wonderful that story. That was fantastic. Yeah. We'll have to add that to the Content Marketing Institute archives. Of Well, uh, I, I hope the uh, paramedics aren't coming to the house right now. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. Yeah, there, there you we go. go. There but you I go. guess that means the show's over. That is it. it. Where are you? So are you home now? Or Well, after two and a half weeks away, I am home this week and happy to be so. And then the, we're going on a family vacation next week. So I'm really looking forward to it. We'll have to figure out how we're going to tape next week. But we'll figure that out. But yeah, I'm looking right. forward to, to sticking around here for the next week. How about, <laughs> how about you? I take it no, uh, no engagements this week? Uh, now I'm home. I have a very short day trip up to San Francisco just for a like a few hours on Friday. But so I'm just up in the morning and then back in the afternoon. But really just home for the next couple of weeks. Um, I have a couple of CMI webinars that I'm doing. Um, but other than that, no, I'm I'm home for the next couple of weeks and no travel till really toward the end of April. Oh, so good. I'm super happy. Well, about well that. deserved break. So. Very, very Indeed. good. You got it. Indeed. All right, folks. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off. And, you know, thanks again for all those wonderful tweets. Tweet us up. Hashtag this old marketing. Hashtag, you know, what makes you tick. Hashtag cray cray. All that stuff. Follow us, you know, or, you know, if you've got a question, you can send an email, too, to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 72, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links and everything we talk about will be available on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. And we do hope you'll tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, Ah, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Market. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.